Today, let's want to look at and challenge the thought pattern of this. If the devil is real and there are demonic spirits here, what are they doing? Well, what they're doing is they are trying to stop, trying to prevent, trying to destroy the will of God. And I want you to know something. You are the will of God. And you serving God and fulfilling the destiny God's put on you is the will of God. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12 or 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it says that you may do the per- good, the perfect, and the acceptable will of the Lord. There are different levels of God's will. The good, the perfect, and the acceptable. The acceptable is you getting saved, and that's all. God's, God's, the will of God is for you to go to heaven. But then there are those that go to the next level of God's will, which is the good. And what happens is they get saved and then they start obeying what the Scripture tells them to do. And they get in church and when you start obeying the Scripture, good things start happening in your life. I'm going to be honest with you. No matter if you just simply did what the Bible said, you will have a good life. Your marriage will stay together. Your kids will be good. Your money will be good. If you just did it, if there was no relationship involved, if you just did what the Word of God says, you're going to have a good life. That's the good will of God. But then there's the perfect, and that's for you to be in fellowship and communion and in relationship with God, and you live out the destiny and plans that He put you here to do. But the devil's trying to stop every bit of that. And the way he does it is he goes at war, and he sends the demonic spirits against you. So this is the question that's always raised theologically. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? All right, well, let's answer that question. Depends on what you consider the word to be possessed means. In the New Testament, there are two different definitions for the word possessed. One means ownership of. And no, I do not believe, and no, do in the Bible, do we see that a, a spirit can own a Christian? You've given yourself to God. God is your owner. You belong to God. All right, but... The other word in the scripture, can a Christian be mastered, ruled over, or under the influence of a demonic spirit? Yes. Yes. Can a demon be in a Christian? Yes. And I'm going to show it to you in the word, and we'll get into it in just for a second. But you say, well, cricket, I don't agree with that. God and the devil, God and a demon can't be at the same place at the same time. How many guys have heard that? How many guys say that? All right. Then how... God omnipresent if God and the devil can't be in the place at the same time. God's everywhere all the time. How, and when you read in the book of Job, was God sitting on the throne and the devil talking to him? You're, you're, a lot of times we build theology out of what we want it to be and not what the Word of God actually teaches. And if God is omnipresent, it is impossible for God and the devil not to be at the same place at the same time. And so... Let's jump into some of the belief systems because I want you to be honest. You know, one of the greatest strategies of warfare is to make your enemy believe that you're not their enemy. If an enemy can make you believe that they're not your enemy or there's not a real threat involved, then you're already defeated. And so the reason why the enemy can, the devil can defeat and when I say devil, I'm meaning demonic influences that serve under 
the de- the devil because they're well organized. They're very well together. They're 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 not like the church is. They're not divided. You know, if the church could get as organized as demonic spirits are organized, the church couldn't be stopped. But see, we all. Are, you know, there's more wars going on within churches about who's going to be the leader and who's going to be that and who's going to be this or that. Then, the, see, the devils don't act that way. In this story, he says, he says, what is your name? He says, we are legion. He says, I am legion. And then he met, changed the story. He says, we are many. They were all willing to align under one name. And that's called unity. It wasn't about I'm legion and I'm Billy Ray and I'm Tommy and we're all equal. No, they were aligned for the, there's There's unity in the enemy's camp. And the unity is behind destroying what God has destined you to be. And so, looking at these things, let's answer a few questions. Are you ready? Can a believer have a demon in them? Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 31. Now, verse 32 is probably one of the most familiar and, and quoted scriptures there is. And it says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. All right? But if you want to be able to make that statement, you've got to read 31 and see who he was making that statement to. Are you ready? It says, and then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Now, who was he talking to? The Jews who did what? Believed in him. And he said this. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, without a doubt. You are my disciples. There's no question. It says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, who needs to know the truth and needs to be set free? Disciples that believed in Jesus that were Jews. It says, and they answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, this is the craziest statement I believe religious believers said in the entire Bible because it just told us, number one, they were Jews. All right? If you go back all the way into the Old Testament, Jews have been in bondage Inside the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, you remember when they were in Egypt? And they were in bondage to Egypt? And then they would move, they got set free, God delivered them and set them free. And they got just a little way out and they would find themselves walking away from God. And boom, they would get back under bondage again from another another thing. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. I mean, the entire Old Testament is about the Jews being under bondage. But this is the craziest part. When these guys made this statement right here, Jews were under the bondage of the Roman Empire. And this is how deceived the devil can deceive us. These men were standing talking to Jesus, believing and hoping He was going to be the Messiah that was sent to set them free from bondage. And when Jesus says, I will set you free... They said, we're not under bondage. The enemy loves to convince Christians that you can be saved 
and not be in bondage to a demonic spirit. Because if He can convince you that you aren't in bondage, guess who gets to keep you? In bondage. And so Jesus said this, He says, but I can set you free. You can be a believer and still be addicted. You can still be a believer and still be oppressed. You can be a, and still suffer from depression. You can be a believer and be sick. You can be a believer and battle all kind of hell. But Jesus is saying, that's not my will for you because I can set you free. And so, then he said this. It says, you will, it says, how can you say you will be made free? How can you say, what, what can you do to prove that we're in bondage? This is what he said. Jesus answered him and said, most assuredly. In other words, guys, without a doubt. I, I, it's not even an argument point here. He said, most assuredly. This is a, this is a fact. I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, what does slave mean? Under the mastery of, under the bondage of, under the control of another. He says, so most assuredly, I say to you, he that commits sin is a slave. That's bondage. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. What he's saying here is this. You can be saved and still be under the bondage of sin. But I'm here to tell you today that you don't have to be that way. And if you will allow me to set you free, you will be free. Just like you want to be. And so I want to talk about a few ways today moving into, because for us to have Kairos moments... You're going to have to come to a place in your life where you're going to have to want to be free bad enough that maybe, maybe you'll be willing to do something about it. And this is what Jesus taught. Jesus said that you can still be a slave to sin. You can be in bondage, even if you're a believer, but I want to set you free. So my question is this, this boy in this story, what took place in his life? to get him to a place where he would cry out to God for help, but he was still having to do self-destructive behavior to stop the pain and stop the torment that the demonic spirits were putting him under. And let's go to Joel chapter 2, verse 9, and answer this door. How did the devils get there? How did the demons get into his life? In Joel chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall and they climb into all the houses and they enter at a window like a thief. Now, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, for the devil goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The word may means permission, having given permission to. The devil can't just destroy anybody. He has to be giving permission to. And the Bible here says this. says that they go around, they run around walls and they run around cities and they're looking for windows or doors that are open that they can enter into like a thief. The Bible says the devil comes only but to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil and his cohorts, the demons, the principalities, the spiritual wickedness, the, the hordes of hell... 
that are loose on this earth, they go around seeking lives that they have permission to destroy. And the truth of the matter is, if you don't know what a window or a door looks like that the enemy can come into, chances are you have one. And not knowing that it's there, the demonic spirits are like squatters. They move to the back of your property where you don't go in often. Then they'll move into the attic. And they may make a little noise and you don't really know what it is, but you let them sit there long enough, they'll move into a room. And before you know it, they have legal right to run the house. I was just reading a story uh, online about a serial squatter. Has anybody else seen that? They're making a movie about him now. And what he would do is he'd get online and find people that would let him move in. And he gave them excuses and reasons why he could. He actually went to law school and got uh, a law degree, but he never passed the bar. And so what he did was he uh, would go and he would get um, he would get on Craigslist, find people looking for a roommate, and he would convince them because he had law and all this stuff. He built a fake web page making people thought he was legit. He would move into their house and he would miss the first month's rent because he's like, you know, I had to make the move. I'll get you on the next one. And then once they passed a certain amount of days that he was there, you couldn't put him out. And there are two. They're making a movie about him right now. There, there were two lives that he utterly destroyed because the squatter laws were at place. And he, they could not, they, one lady had to move out of her house and just go find somewhere else. Another lady lost her home because she couldn't, he wouldn't pay and she needed her, And they just destroyed those two lives. Why? Because a squatter stepped in and had a legal right after a certain amount of time to control the house. One of them, he killed her cat. I'm just crazy. So you got to watch this. I ain't seen the movie yet, but I, I, just, I was reading the story about it. And that's how the devil works. Once he gets in, it's hard to get him out. So what we want to jump in today is I want to answer some questions about how he got in. What's he going to do when he gets in? But first of all, I need to, I need to bring to your understanding that, man, what he came to do. So go to Acts chapter 13 with me real quick. Paul begins to preach a message. And at the end of Paul's message, he ends it very weird. And in Acts 13 verse... 40, he says this, Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. Now, Paul's preaching a message, and at the end of it, he gives them this warning. He says, Beware. You never find the word beware in a good connotation, all right? I mean, there's something you need to watch out for, all right? It says, Beware. Before, so beware so that something does not come upon you. All right? And in verse 41, uh, I believe everything I'm reading now, guys, is in the New King James. Um, it says in verse 41, it says, Behold, you despair, marvel, and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe through one were to declare, though one were to declare it to you. So this is what Paul said. He said, All right, beware... At least something come upon you. Well, what is he talking about coming upon you? He says, beware what the prophets have said come upon you. Then he quotes a specific prophet. 
Now, those people that would have been standing there listening to him would have known the words of the prophets. And when he made that next statement, they knew exactly who he was talking about. So now let's go to the prophet that he quoted. It's found in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. Is where Paul got this statement from a prophet. Remember, he says, beware, least what the prophets have said come upon you. Then he quoted a specific prophet. And the prophet he quoted was Habakkuk. And Habakkuk 1, verse 5 through 9 says this, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. Okay, boom. That's what Paul just quoted. So, why would he have quoted this? Let's read on down. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans are very important because the Chaldeans were a tribe of destroyers. They were mercenary fighters. And in the Old Testament, they were conquering people. And let me read what kind of people they were here. It says, Behold, it says, Watch out, uh, it says, For indeed, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth. Now, what do demons do? They go through the cities, they go through the walls, they're looking for windows. All right? What does the devil do? The Bible, when Jesus asked, when God asked the devil in um, Job, he says, where have you been doing? What have you been doing? He says, I've been walking to and fro on the earth. Here it says this. Marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgments and their dignity proceed for themselves. Their horses are also swifter than leopards. They're more fierce than evening wolves. Their charges charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as as the eagles that hasten to eat. They will come for violence. Their faces will be set like the east wind. Alright, so he said, Paul said, beware unless what the prophets said come upon you. And he said, you need to know. When he quoted Habakkuk, he said, you need better know what, what Habakkuk said will come on you. And Habakkuk said, the Chaldeans will come upon you. Well, the people listening to Paul at that moment would have instantly stepped back and go, yeah, Paul, but we know the Chaldeans were destroyed in 530 B.C. They don't even exist on the earth anymore. And Paul was giving them not a natural warning. He was giving them a spiritual warning. Why would Paul be warning them to beware of something that does not exist to come upon them if the spirit of Chaldeans aren't real? Paul was telling them, listen, they're demonic spirits and they, will, they, they have the same spirit as the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans no longer existed, but when they did exist... They conquered and they fought the people of God constantly. As a matter of fact, the Chaldeans, they weren't a big country, but they had dominated most of the world. One of the most famous Chaldeans we know was King Nebuchadnezzar. The one that conquered Israel and brought to him the 
young leaders, the smart, the wise, and raided the temples of God. Paul wasn't saying beware of people that don't exist anymore. They're no longer on the planet. Paul was saying beware of the spirit of the Chaldeans that they don't come upon you. Because the spirit of the Chaldeans just it, says they are thieves just as the devil. And so the skeptics there that day would have been, ah, he's just being ignorant. They don't even believe, they don't even exist anymore. Is the same attack the demons and the devils try to play on us now. Ah, the demons aren't real. Listen to them talking about demons at church. I got to be honest with you. I don't believe there's a demon under every bush, but I do believe this. There are hordes of demons that has been set out to destroy you, your family, your marriage, your kids, your church, and what God is doing in your life. And I need to be aware so that I can be aware. I need to be sober and be vigilant that I understand that the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if he can devour, then it would be a different story. But it's up to me whether or not I'll allow him to devour me, my kids, my marriage, my church, my family, because it's a permission deal. And so if it's a permission deal, then we need to be aware that if we could have doors and windows open that demonic spirits could come into and destroy and hurt and harm what God has called us to do. I want to go real quick to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 43. Say, Cricket, when I got saved, the demons left. I totally agree. When you got saved, you were set free, delivered. But this is what it says in 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, where did he come from? Out of a man. Why would an unclean spirit go out of a man? Just because they get sick of living there? Get sick of tearing up a life? No. There had to be something happen in a life for an unclean spirit to be run out. And the only thing that runs an unclean spirit out is Jesus in the name of Jesus. And so here we're picking up a story of a, of a Jesus said that when he sets a life free... An unclean spirit goes out, and he goes to dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. says, then he says, I will return to my house, which I have come. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put together. How many times have you seen people come into the house of God, and God save them, and God deliver them, and their life starts getting good, and things start getting put back together, and their life gets swept out from all the stuff, and their life begins to get put back in order, and then all of a sudden, we like to call it, they fall off the wagon. Or they... Go back to where they were. Start acting like they used to. No, this is what happens. It says, then he goes and takes with... If he comes back and finds the house empty, swept in an order, then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than themselves, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first state. So shall it be with the... With, so shall it be also with this wicked generation. Man, for us to move ourselves into a thought pattern that demons aren't real, that demons don't fight us, that demons can't master and lord over a Christian's life, we are completely a wicked and deceived nation. Because the truth is this, the devil will kill, steal, and destroy any and every way that he can. That... You say, okay, you're talking about demons. Yeah. Well, in Daniel chapter 2, 2, that's not in your notes, but if you'll bring it there, it tells us 
what when Daniel and a Chaldean King Nebuchadnezzar in the story, when he had a dream, what he turned to to interpret it, and he puts it's weird. It says, and then the king gave the commandment to call the magicians. Anybody have a problem believing that you know um, sorcery and stuff is wrong? All right. It says the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. Let me tell you these what the devil uses and why he uses it to try to destroy lives. Number one, magicians try to distract and deceive you. Distract and deceive. Now, there's a lot of people that have a problem with um, magic tricks and stuff. When I was a children's pastor, I loved using magic tricks to teach the gospel. But I'm not talking about entertaining magic. We're talking about dark magic that people enter into. It says, then the astrologers. You know what astrologers? Dark magic deceives or distracts to deceive. Astrologers, they try to use spirits. Or no, astrologers, what they do is they use natural events to try to predict your future. It's a demonic spirit. In other words, they will have something happen in your life to tell you what your future will be. And then the sorcerers try to use spirits to control what your future will be. And the Chaldeans are the demons that God, that the devil uses to do it. So, what do we got to do? Number one, you need to know what demons are. Number one, they're thieves. In Habakkuk, it says they are thieves. They come into your life to never make things better. They're only there to steal. And until they get done stealing in your life, yeah, I mean, they won't stop until they steal everything, even your last breath. There in the story of the demoniac boy, when the demons left the man, it looked like God just allowed them to beat up the pigs. I believe that he did it on purpose. The reason why he sent the demons into the pigs was to show the young man what the plan the demons had for his future would be. The Bible says the pigs ran into the water. Pigs can swim. Pigs can swim. You can Google it on your phone and go to YouTube. There's an island in the Bahamas that pigs don't just swim. They swim in the ocean. They're good swimmers. And pigs can swim. But they ran into the water and it says they were drowned. If those demons would have stayed in this boy, then boy, that boy would have been killed just like those demons killed those pigs. I'm here to tell you, you allow demonic spirits to stay in your life. It's a matter of time before the demonic spirits will take advantage and try to kill you and get you out of this picture. They're not nice. They're thieves. They've come to kill, steal, and destroy. Also, you need to know this about demons. There in Habakkuk, he said they're vicious. Man, don't pretend that you can be a friend to something like a demonic spirit. I told the earlier, I read a story uh, about a doctor that had went over to Mexico. And on her way back, she was driving back, there was a little dog on the side of the road that was all ratty and skinny and sick. And, man, she felt so sorry for that thing. So she stopped and she picked it up and took it home and gave it a bath and cleaned it up and, you know, was trying to take care of that little dog and try to nurse him back to health. And no matter what she fed him, he still was all ratty and sick and couldn't get him help. So he finally took him to his bed. She said, I've done everything. I fed him. I take care of him. I love him. I wash him. I bathe him. I give him And he still looks sick. She goes, he goes, well, you're never going to get him to be well because he's, he's not a dog. He's a rat. And so the thing about it, she'd picked up a Mexican rat. The enemy loves to try to convince you 
that when he comes into your life, that he's not going to do that much damage. He's not that bad of a deal. He's not going to try to destroy you like they really tell you he's going to. He tries to get you on, you know, to think that it's okay for him to be here. You need to understand he's vicious. The Bible calls him a wolf. Wolves are the most profound killers in nature. They're worse than a lion. They're worse than jackals because wolves can, they, the, when they hunt and they fight, and I mean, they go after prey, they devour it to the point where they don't even leave bones in the wreckage. The devil and the demons, the Bible calls them wolves there in Habakkuk. And the problem with wolves, if you do the study on wolves, is this. Wolves and sheep cannot coexist no matter how well you try to train a wolf. Scientists have done studies on them. Wolves and sheep cannot coexist. The wolves and a sheep, if you keep them together long enough, the wolf will kill the sheep. When you allow a wolf to be in your life, it's only a matter of time. And they say this, when wolves are the most dangerous is when they look the most relaxed. Because they're predatory animals, and what they do is they stay at a distance and they watch. And they pay attention, and they learn their prey. And then once they learn their prey, they go off guard because they say wolves have already learned and decided where and when they're going to take that prey out. Because they've learned the behaviors of that prey, they know where that prey is going to go and how he's going to do it. So then they go into relax mode, and then they just wait for that moment when it's available to take them out. The Bible says that they're wolves. Not only are they vicious, you've got to understand this. They're cunning. They're cunning. They completely... They, you know, they made a very stupid mistake once when they joined Lucifer's side. But I can tell you, they've learned from their mistakes. They're not dumb and they're not stupid. It takes a smart devil... To get a man of God like David to be sitting on a roof to cause a woman to want to go up on a rooftop at that moment and be seen by him and cause a giant like that to fall. That's a smart devil, smart demon. They're very cunning. There in Habakkuk, if you actually read 1 verse 15, it says this. They take up all of them with the hook. They catch them in their nets and they gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. They're perfect fishermen. What a fisherman does when he goes fishing, he takes a fake bait, a fake food, a fake temptation, and he throws it out in front of, in, in the fish's habitat. And then he wiggles it around out there long enough till the fish thinks it would be okay to take a bite of what he wants or he desires to have what he sees. And when he goes after it, that's when the fisherman jerks the line and hooks him with the hook. The Bible says the Chaldeans, the demons, are like fishermen that will hook them. He'll get you hooked. And he doesn't just hook for the fun. The purpose of hooking a fish is to take him and pull him out of his environment that he was created to live in. I've watched demonic spirits pull husbands out of marriages, wives out of marriage, what demonic spirits pull fathers out of children's lives and mothers out of children's lives. Seeing demonic spirits pull good, amazing workers get pulled out of jobs or get pulled out of situations. He'll pull you out of the environment that God 
destined and put you in until you die. You keep a fish out of water long enough, keep him out of the environment that he was supposed to be in, he dies. You can't, a fish can't live out of water. And when a demonic spirit hooks you and he pulls you and jerks you out, don't you think for a minute he's doing it to play with you. There's nothing nice about a demonic. He don't care how old you are, how young you are. The Bible says the demonic spirits were the spirits that took babies under the age of two and had Herod put swords through them to kill them before they ever even had a chance. you got to understand what it is you're playing with. I was reading a story on the Internet the other day about a lady um, that had a pet snake that quit eating. And it was her, she loved this snake. I don't know what, you got to be from the devil if you like, now I'm playing. <laughs> I'm playing about that, but some people like snakes. That, there's just something not right in their head, all right? But says so she had this snake, and it was her pet. And it quit eating, and she got worried about it, worried about it. So she took it to the vet, and the vet looked at the snake and was like, well, does he sleep in the bed with you? And she said, yeah. She said, does he straighten out straight beside you and lay right beside you? She said, yeah. She said, well, let me tell you what's going on. The vet said, it's not that he's not eating. He, he gets in your bed, and he cuddles up with you and straighten, lays straighten out beside you because he's sizing you up. And the reason why he's quit eating... Is so that he will be hungry enough when it comes time to eat you that he will be able to digest you. You need to know something about it. Demons, I don't care how good or fun or comfortable they make you feel. It's only a matter of time before they go to take you out. Let me tell you something also about a snake. When they shed their skin, they don't change. They just get bigger. And so when an enemy of spirit, when a demonic spirit comes, he's not going to change. He hadn't changed his purpose or his plan. It's a matter of time before he tries to take you out and kill you. He just got to get you comfortable enough to let your guard down first. That's why it doesn't happen instantly. That's why it doesn't happen quick. Demon moves in, take control. Once they have control, they will kill you. You need to understand what a demonic thing is. So how in the world, what in the world is it, or what do we need to know about the windows and the doors that allow demonic spirits in? Well, we have to give them permission. We give them permission, the Bible says, by opening doors. The Bible says in Genesis, sin stands at the door and waits. One translation says he crouches down at the door, waiting for it to be opened. When we open doors in our lives, we're giving demonic spirits permission to come into a home that they were never supposed to be in. Because if you are saved, you are not supposed to have demonic spirits in your life. The thing about it is, you say, well, demonic spirits don't go after Christians. They go after unsaved. No, they got unsaved people. Their sole objective is to take Christians out. And when you don't understand that that's what he's there to do, you can have one living in, your, in, your, uh, in the recliner in the seat beside you on the couch, and you not even know it, but it's only a matter of time. So we need to know what kind of doors these spirits are. Are looking for and what they open. Well, there are seven signs in your life that you have a door. Are there several signs in your life that you have an open door to a demonic spirit? Sign number one is this: continual iniquity. In other words, a habitual sin. In other words, if there's something in your life that you continually do and you know that it's wrong, that's a sign. There's a demonic spirit in your life. There's a door open. That he's come through. You say, well, Cricket, what do you mean? All right, go back to John. Let me see what it says right here in John. In John 8, verse 31, or we'll go to 34, it says this. Remember, it says, and he answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin. That word commits means makes a plan for 
sets his schedule to, allows time, and makes a plan to carry out. That is a habitual sin. When we have sins in our lives, not that we mess up. God, when we mess up and fall and fall short, that's one thing. But when you come to a place, another scripture says it like this. For sin, there is a sacrifice. But for willful sin, willful is the difference between manslaughter and murder in the first degree. Manslaughter means that you could just be a part of something and someone accidentally dies. Murder in the first, and that's the, the crime for that is zero time in jail up to 10 years, depending on the judge. First degree murder is 25 years of life. The difference between the two is first degree murder is something you planned to do. Second degree murder is a crime of passion. In other words, you know, you wasn't planning on it, but the, the situation arised and you gain angry and you beat the dude to death. That's uh, second degree murder. First degree murder is you plan to do it. You brought the gun with you before you got there. You went and made a plan to catch him. See, when you plan to do something, you commit to doing it. And the Bible says the man who commits sin plans to do this thing is okay with doing it, doesn't think it's really that bad. You know, doesn't matter, even if he knows God said don't do it, he, for some reason God's changed his mind, even though the Bible says God never changes. And you allow that thing to take place, you have an open door for a demonic spirit getting into your life. Number two, a door that can be opened is a sign that a door is opened into your life. Continued illness. Continued illness is a sign that there is a demonic door open in your life. Uh, Luke 13 says this. Oh, let's go back um, on a plan, commit us, uh, on continual iniquity. Romans 6, 16, if you don't mind, pull that up for me. Miss um, Sonia, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are the one slave whom you obey. Whoever of sin leading to death, whether it be sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness, when you plan to sin, you become a slave to sin. And the enemy loves to get people to convince, well, I'll do it today and, and I will uh, ask forgiveness for tomorrow. No, you, you, you're in bondage. You need to understand this. You're in bondage. All right? Another one real quick is um, Jeremiah 7 and verse 8. We'll go to that one real quick. Behold, I trust in lying words that cannot profit. You steal, murder, commit adultery, swear false, uh, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which I call by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all. Now, a lot of people like to say this, well, grace gives us permission to live how we want to. That's not what the Bible says. It says, these abominations has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves. Who are thieves? Demonic spirits, devils, becomes a den of thieves in your eyes. Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. In other words, we think we can go do what we want to and come back in church and ask God to forgive us. You are in bondage to demonic spirits. You've opened a door for demonic spirit to come into your life. Number two is continued illness. In Luke 13, it says this, Now he said, teaching in one of these synagogues on the Sabbath... And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. You can go on and read this story. Jesus called her out. And this is what takes place here. 
there for years, I had a spirit of infirmity in my life. I was, I'm one of six, and I was the only kid growing up in my family that stayed sick constantly. I had so many ear infections when I was younger, before I was even a teenager, that the antibiotics that they would have to give me couldn't stop them anymore. It was like every month I would get a new ear infection where the medicine, they, they, that was odd. None of the rest of the kids got it. And then I had broken, when I was growing up, more bones than my entire rest of the family had broken Altogether, I had appendicitis when I was a teenager, and it didn't hit me that I was dealing with demonic stuff till I was 21 years old, and I got diagnosed with colonitis, and they were going to have to take my colon out and put a colostomy bag on me. And I realized this is not normal. Everybody else in my family's healthy. Everybody else in my family's, you know, doesn't deal with these things. And so for a long time, I would have thought it was hereditary, but no, this was unnatural, especially being 21. I remember walking out of there. They were setting an appointment for me to have my surgery the next month. And I walked out and I said, Devil, you're going to either kill me or I'm going to get rid of you now because I'm not going through this anymore. And I began to fast. I prayed and it broke. And that demonic spirit got out of my life. And I haven't, I got to be honest with you, I don't get sick anymore. I don't. I mean, if I get a cold, I just once every one or two years, it broke off of my life. Past, uh, Jason David you know, the guy that had the tongue cancer, that was, that was not normal. Me and him had conversation about a month ago about he was sick. And I was like, man, do you get sick often now that you're immune? He said, man, I don't ever get sick, maybe once every two or three years. And then we talked about the cancer, and he said, man, it was a full-on demonic attack. That was a spirit of infirmity. If you are battling health issues, just one after another, after another, after another, and it doesn't make natural sense, I'm telling you, it could be a sign there's a door open in your life to a spirit of infirmity, and the devil's not going to quit until you either kick him out or he kills you. Next sign that there's a demonic sign, demonic spirit in life, continued influence of people that have demonic spirits. The companions you run with is a sign whether or not there's a demonic spirit or has a window in your life. You cannot run around with spirits without them affecting you. Let me tell you, when Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says she went to see Elizabeth and the spirit on the inside of her jumped out of her and into Elizabeth and the baby leapt and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Works that way and it also works the other way. Bad companions corrupt good manners, what the Bible says. If you're running around with people that have demonic influences and bondages in their life, it is affecting you. Healthy trees or sick trees don't catch healthy just because you sit it beside a healthy tree. You know what happens if you set a healthy tree beside a disease tree? The tree that was healthy catches the disease. Spirits have access by the companions that you keep. Let me show it to you like this. In uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 13, it says this. And then some of the uh, inerrant Jewish exorcists, these guys were professional demon kicker outers, took it to themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. All right. So they considered them to be successful exorcists and they decided they were going to use the name of Jesus to get rid of some spirits and some other people. And it says, we exercise you by the we exercise you by the um, Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva and a Jewish priest who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, 
and Paul I know. But who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I got to tell you, parents, this is a stern thing for you because it's a stern thing for me. Who you let your kids run around opens doors in their life for what demonic spirits get to come against them. I, I, I'm not I'm practicing what I preach here because my daughter made the eighth grade uh, cheerleader team this week. We've been prepping for it. It's a big deal. And once they made it, the cheer squad come together. And there's a girl on that squad known as the Mean Girl. She bullies. She, uh, you know, what I'm saying she, she, she's got a spirit on her. You say cricket. How the Bible says, I know them by their fruits. And I'm supposed to be a fruit inspector. And I noticed when my daughter made it to a, the team. This girl turned on my daughter, and my daughter that's usually bold out front, I mean, not a, she began to draw back, and she began, a spirit of intimidation began to get on top of her. Now, the, the spirit of intimidation was causing her to settle down and be back, not push forward to be the leader that we've taught her and raised her to be. And I had to pull her aside, and I said, Baby, I love you. I'm so proud you made it on the cheer team. But I'm here to tell you this. If you let that spirit affect you, I'm taking you off that team. So because I am not going to let a demonic spirit that someone else is allowed to be in their family come against who me and my family are going to be. I do not let my kids spend the night at different people's houses. You say, well, Cricket, are you overprotective? No. I don't know what demons they've allowed to come into their houses. And I don't know. And I'm not going to open a door. The Bible says don't give the devil a place. And so I don't care. They're, I've got people mad at me saying, well, you don't, you think your kids are better than mine? No. I know what my kids are. They're precious. They're innocent. They're vulnerable. And a demon does not care who they are or whose kid they are. He wants to destroy them. So he will take advantage of every situation. And if you don't draw the line in your life to keep certain people out, the demons that they've allowed in them are going to be in you. It's only a matter of time. And so you got to make sure that you don't allow continued influences. Acts chapter 19 tells us, Deuteronomy 18, 1 through 12 tells us. But so those are three easy ways, but those are kind of easy to understand. But I want to touch real quick before we close on the number one way that mature believers are affected by demonic spirits. Because this way is the way that has taken out spiritual giants. You say, Cricket, I understand all that, what you're saying. I, I'm not... I'm not um, I'm not going to open those doors. I'm not going to be susceptible to demonic spirits that way. This next door took out the greatest of the great and the biggest of the big. And it's the door of what the word calls pride. And you know the enemy's trying to get you to open this door if you just thought, I'm proud I don't have pride in my life. Because it's the most deceiving door the devil has. This door is the one that actually took Lucifer out of heaven with. He allowed pride to rise in his heart. Let me break down what pride is. And let me show you real quick. You know one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible is about pride. It's in Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Let's look what it says. It said, pride goes before destruction. How many of you guys have heard this quoted? Pride goes before a fall. It's not what it says. It says this, pride goes before destruction. It says, and a haughty spirit 
a demonic spirit, an unclean spirit before fall. When we open the door of pride in our life, we allow pride to be there. It opens the door for a spirit to come in and cause destruction. And this is what pride says. Pride says this. Pride says that you don't need any help. You're strong enough to do it on your own. When the enemy can convince you to trust in your own strength, you've just opened a door to demonic spirits in your life. Because I'm here to tell you, he studied you more than you've studied him. And I don't care how strong you think you are. But I can tell you this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you'll rely on the strength of God and realize that you're not strong enough to defeat the devil. You know what the Bible says? Well, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what it says. That's part of what it says. But see, when you think you're strong enough to resist the devil, when you think you're strong enough to just push it back, and this is the problem what happens to most mature Christians. Most mature Christians think, I'm strong enough now. I, the devil won't get me back in there. But the scripture says this, submit to God and resist the devil. Meaning you're not going to do it without God. And if you try to do it without God, it's only a matter of time before destruction comes in. And there will be a fall. So Peter was one of the main ones that in the Bible that this shows up in. Peter had a relationship with God. He knew God. But every time Peter stepped up on the front field, he, he battled pride. Remember when Jesus was telling the disciples what was going to happen to him? And Peter said, oh, no, I'm never going to let that happen to you. That's doing it in your own strength. When you think you can handle it. And then the next scripture says, Jesus called him a devil. Peter, when he thought he could do it on his own strength, when they came to arrest Jesus, he pulled his sword out and cut off a dude's ear, trying to stop the soldiers from arresting God on his own strength. The next chapter, we see Peter over a fire denying who Christ was. I'm here to tell you, if you're going to do it in your own strength, and you know how you can tell when people are going to do it in their own strength? When you don't ever see them come to a place of submitting to God. People that can't move into worship, pride has got a door open because they can do it in their own strength. When you see people never move to altars, they're doing it in their own strength. When you find people that understand that, man, I can't defeat the devil without God. And I don't care what anybody thinks about me or how strong anybody or how weak the, the greatest failures I've had in my life is when I sat in a service and I felt the Holy Spirit tug on my heart that I needed to move forward. But I thought, well, people are going to think bad about me because I'm the pastor, so I'm not going to move. And it wasn't a couple days. Demonic spirits began to tear parts of my life apart. I remember those failures. And I've come to a place to learn that, man, I can't do it in my own strength. I was driving here yesterday and I had to go by a pastor's home and drop something off. And I didn't really have time because I needed to get here and stopped at the pastor's house. And I was just going to hand it to them. And they took it. But they said, no, no, you got to come in. you got to come in. I said, no, okay, i got eight hours. I had a gig. No, no, come in. They set me in an office for about 30 minutes. And I was pretty aggravated because <laughs> I was sitting in an office for about 30 minutes. And I was in a hurry. But then 
one of those powerful men of God I'd ever seen came in. And he sat down and he had his head down like this when he walked in. And that's odd for him because I know who he is. And he began to tell me how he felt like he had failed, not morally, but he said God brought these opportunities into his life and he had failed because he wasn't ready or strong enough yet to be able to handle them, but he thought he was. And he started telling me the mess he'd made. And I told him, man, God didn't do that. That's not the nature of God. I said, you remember when Joshua was in the promised land and the enemy sent some people dressed up like certain people, like they dressed up like they come from a long way off. And Joshua thought that they were actually there to help him and they made a treaty with him, but they ended up causing him headache and, and de- de- defeating things in his future. I said, they weren't sent by God, they were sent by the devil. I said, man, them people that came into your life, those weren't sent by God. God don't know. They were sent by the devil. And man, it broke off him. He raised up like the man I saw. And we spent the next hour and a half. I mean, and both of us, tears coming down our face. A healing was taking place. But the enemy had gotten him to a place where he thought he had people were coming, wanting him to mentor. And he thought it was God, but then it was really the devil. And when it fell apart, the pride was broken and it was like his spirit was broken. But the minute he realized that it was a demonic spirit and it wasn't God disappointed, man, he rose back up and we had a time of healing. And then this is what he said. He said, when I was going to leave, he looked at me and he said, man, it's amazing how God will send donkeys to speak his word. And at that moment, if it would have been the old me, and he just called me a jack something, <laughs> It would have bruised my pride. But I'm going to be honest with you. I've learned that I, nothing I do is in my own strength and I'm relying on God. I walked out there, got in my car and truly said, God, thank you for letting me be a jack A today. Thank you, God. Because I'm sick of that door being opened in my life through pride. One, if you've got a door open, if you can do it in your own strength. Number two, you've got a door of pride open in your life if you can do it in your own righteousness. Do you know what happened to Job? Isn't that the saddest book of the Bible to you? And you always wonder, he did everything right and everything fell apart in his life. But studying through all this that we're studying now, I've learned I've been wrong about that book the whole time. The beginning of Job says he was perfect, but that's not what happened as the book began to unfold. What gave the devil permission to destroy Job's life was a door was open. And the door is shown to us in Job chapter 32. In the book of Job, the Bible says that the friends came to Job wondering why the devil had destroyed his life like he did. And Job would say, they would say, well, Job, you must be doing this. And Job would say, nope, I'm not doing that. I am doing this. And I'm not doing that. And I am doing this. And I am. And he began to tell them how right he was living and how not wrong he was living. And in 32... One of the younger guys spoke up and said, All right, I've had enough of this. I've been listening to you guys for a long time, and y'all ain't come to the answer yet, so you need to be quiet. I'm going to tell you what's going on. He said, You keep saying that you're strong enough in your own righteousness, that this shouldn't be happening because of what you do do and what you don't do. This takes mature believers out all the time. Opens a door, probably not because 
I've been studying and reading the Bible for 30 years. I've been studying and reading the Bible. I've been going to prayer meeting for 15 years. I've been, I've been going to church. I'm a deacon at that church. I never miss a Sunday. And the enemy convinces us that we have our strength in what we do do and what we don't do. And then in Job 38, God shows up. And he says, who do you think you are? Did you put the scars in the sky? Did you cause the hills to rise like they do? Can you fly like the eagles and put them into the sky? And he draw the whole thing about, Job, you might not do this and might not do that, but your righteousness is a pile of beans. You're not who I am, and you would not be righteous if it weren't for me. When you get the enemy convinces us in a place that we have what we have, and we deserve what we deserve because how good we are, you've opened a door. And it's a matter of time before the enemy's going to take advantage of that door. Thirdly, when you have a doorway of pride, when you decide this, you put your trust in your own wisdom. Let me tell you what that looks like. I'm going to do it my way. I'm smart enough. I've been through enough. I know what to do. And I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And I'm going to do it the way I think it should be done. And that door gets open. And then I'm here to tell you, it's only a matter of time. James chapter 3, verse 14. Let's read that one. James And then we're going to close. James chapter 3, verse 4. Are we up there still? Maybe not. I'll put it up on my phone. I just wrote the reference out on my notes. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Let's go on down. Let's go to the next one. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. When you can do it your way, you've opened your life up to a demonic spirit. And the Bible says it's demonic. I'm here to tell you, the devil don't play. He is set out to destroy us. When I read this story of the young man in Mark chapter 5 that grew up with a whole future ahead of him. But his life was destroyed because it had demonic... Not because he was a bad guy. Nowhere does it say he was a bad guy. As a matter of fact, his heart desired to be set free. But because of demonic spirits in his life causing his life to go into the direction that God never intended it to, he would cry out to God and he would self-induce pain And you know, that's all drug addiction is. That's all alcohol addiction is. That's all bitterness is. That's all anger is. That's all. These are things that we do to try to stop the pain of the torment of the demonic spirits that are on the inside of us, tormenting us. But we, you know, I've never seen it once. Once somebody was delivered and shut the doors from the demonic spirits, all those self-medicating symptoms or self-harming behaviors would stop. It would stop because, you know, God's plan for you is to be free. So this is where I want to end today. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about one that the enemy 
cloaks and disguises better than any other, and then we're going to move into healing. We're on a Kairos adventure. I love to think of it as an adventure because this young man got his life back. And I'm going to get my life back. And you're going to get your life back from where the enemy has tried to hold us back and keep us from living what God's done. But you have to know that the devil and demonic spirits are real. There are 16 different demonic spirits mentioned into the Bible. And under those 16, I've got page after page after page of, of results that these demons do. But you know what number one is? I mean, these are just page after page of, of the, the results these demonic spirits bring about. Our life. But you know what number one is? A familiar spirit. Familiar spirit. Do you know what a familiar spirit is? One that feels natural. It's been there so long that you, the enemy convinces you that it's not him, it's you. And when you think it's you, then you start aligning yourself up with the direction that the demonic spirit's going to take you. I'm here to tell you, that's not you. That's a demon. And he's got a door into your life, and he's got to convince that it's just you. And the way the demonic spirits work is they can take a natural event that you actually went through in your life, and the feelings and the things that took place there, he will cloak himself to look and feel just like that so that he can stay in your life and you don't recognize him so that every time you hit something or go against something or go in direction, he can bring those, that feeling, that familiarness up and you then allow it to stay. Let me give you some examples. Um, when someone dies in your life, grief is a real thing. Even Jesus cried when his friend died. But the devil can take that moment and cloak himself as that depression, that hopeless, that loneliness. And then tomorrow when you receive rejection at work, he makes you feel that same way. And it keeps you caught in that cycle. Another way he can work, postpartum depression. It's a chemical imbalance in your body when you have a baby. And some people really get affected by it and it feels like depression. And so what the enemy will do then is he will make himself familiar. He will cloak himself to make himself feel like depression. And although all the chemicals in the woman's body gets back right, they can get in an argument with their husband or they can have a hard day with their kids. And he show up as that same feeling that's so familiar that then they start thinking that I'm just depressed and this is not a spirit of heaviness, is what the Bible calls it. It can be you've been hurt or abused by a father. And when you were going through those steps, or it can be you actually make a bad mistake. You make a decision in life, whether it be an abortion, whether it be a divorce, and guilt and shame comes on you. And during that moment that happens, that demon will make himself cloak like that feeling to where every time you take a step, he makes you feel that way. So that you don't run him out, he convinces you this is you. And then you start living in the tombs and causing self-destructive behavior because he doesn't want you to become all that God wants you to be. And the Bible says it's free. So what we have to do in these things is you need to know something. 
those guys that tried to kick that spirit out, they tried to use a name of a man that they did not know. And it didn't work. But if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, I'm here to tell you, you know who Jesus is. And the Bible says the demons knew who Paul was and the demons knew who Jesus was and now they know who you are. And you can take the authority that was given to you by Jesus who took the keys of death, hell, and grave away from Him. And do you know who He gave them to? We think, see, some people think Jesus is sitting in heaven with these keys. He's not. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. You have the keys to the bondage that the enemy has placed on your life. And just like in this story, it says they would often put chains on him. He would break free. But the problem with it is he didn't go back and shut windows and shut doors that the enemy had let the devil in. So they would come and put often put chains back on him and find himself bound again. You have keys to the kingdom. You can set yourself free by the authority of Jesus. And you make a decision to close these doors. You say, well, how do I close these doors? You humble yourself. Submit yourself to the Lord. You repent before God for allowing these doors to be open. We bind and cast the devil out. And he will leave. And then we make a decision that going forward from here, we're not going to open the windows anymore because he can't come in if you ain't given him permission. So I want to pray with you real quick. If you're here and you say, Cricket, I know there's demonic influences and control in areas of my life and I'm ready to get free. Would you simply just pray this prayer with me? Say, Dear Father, I ask you to forgive me for opening doors and allowing unclean spirits access into my life. And I ask you right now to forgive me. And I take the authority of Jesus that he gave to me when he took the keys from death, hell, and the grave. And I shut the door and I shut the windows that had been opened by my actions in the past. And right now, Satan and every demon devil from the pit of hell, I bind you and I cast you out in the authority of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you must go and you must leave right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that you're not leaving my house in order and swept. But you are moving in with your Holy Spirit, filling every room, every crevice, every hurt, every pain, every failure. And I give you complete lordship of my life in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. And the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm here to tell you, we're on a program where you walk out of here different. You walk out of here different. I'm going to tell you, I, I was preparing last night, and I was really battling something. Not, I mean, I'm, I'll just be honest with you. Um, you know, I got issues. And there was an issue that mentally I've been battling with for years now. And I was like, God, if this stuff really works, I want to do it. I want to be free. I took this area of my life and I said, Devil, I bind you and cast you out in this area. And I repented for the Lord for the unforgiveness that opened that door. For the anger and rage that I was feeling on the inside of me. And I went to bed believing that I wasn't mad about him anymore every time I thought about him. 
And then I got up this morning and I couldn't make myself mad by thinking about it. I tried. I tried to get mad about them again. I got to be honest with you, it's the weird, it was the weirdest thing. I, I, I can sit and talk about them and I'm not mad for the first time in almost seven years. And I did not even realize that me fighting that anger was a demonic spirit in my life until I began to study again about these demonic spirits. It's the first time I'm not mad in like seven years. You don't understand how good I feel. If you're depressed, if you're angry, if you're jealous, if you're un- if you're bitter, man, you get before the Lord and you cast that thing out and you shut that door. Because you don't got to feel that way anymore. Amen? And the sun sets free is free. God bless you. We will see you next week.